So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for your presence here this morning. And thank you for your word. And take my words and may they bear fruit in my life and in my brothers and sisters' lives here this morning. What's of you, may it bear fruit. And what's not of you, may it just fall away. Amen. Amen. Right. Those of you who don't know me, I'm Deborah. I'm married to the lovely Martin in the middle. I'm going to point him out because he is the, one of the calmest presences I know. And that's why I married him. Sorry for Martin. And we generally hang out around here quite a lot. Sometimes I got to be in catching last week. That was good. <laughs> Thumbs up from Rachel. And sometimes I go and hang out in Northampton, particularly at the upper room. I got to plug that because how can you not? It's our boiler room. What does it mean to you when I say my name is Deborah? Do you think I sometimes see her behind the microphone? Do you think I know she's that lady with the dark hair and the glasses? I know she's married to Martin. I know she bangs on about being an introvert. What do you think about when I say my name is Deborah? Is it a way of distinguishing me from Ash or my sister or my friend Kathy or other people who might look like me? Today we're going to continue our series on God has a name. God has a name. It's not God. If you, if you weren't here last week, I commend you to have a listen to Tom's talk. He did a cracking job, and it's a great foundation for today and what's going to follow afterwards. You can find it on our website. We're going to stay then in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7 as our anchoring scripture. And we're going to hone in on the part of God's name today that is compassionate and gracious. What that adds up to, we're going to talk about how God's baseline emotion towards us is mercy. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 7. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Right, so names matter. Um, I want to start with a light-hearted story because I'm going to get quite serious. So let's start with something light just to ease you in. Um, I bought my first house in Kettering about 20 years ago. And for years, my neighbours called me Sarah. I'm a bit deaf, so I didn't notice for a long time. I just kind of heard the, eh, uh, morning, eh, uh, and I was like, oh, that sounds about right, morning. Till my house was burgled. And that was fine. And then the Monday after, Martin and I were coming down the stairs, 7 o'clock in the morning to get the train. And Martin's in front of me. He says, Deborah, there's um, armed police at the door. I was like, well, open the door then. So he opens the door and the chap says, fully loaded, is this your house, sir? And Martin says, nope. Oh, he doesn't look very happy at this point, 7 o'clock on a Monday morning. And Martin steps aside and he looks at me and says, are you Sarah? <laughs> I say, no. He's not very happy. At this point, he says, I say, is there a problem, officer? And I step out, because I'm thinking, we ain't all going to fit in my hallway. And we step out into the garden, at which point, next door, roll up their window. You're all right, Sarah. I thought your house was being burgled again. I look at the police officer. I'm not Sarah. I'm Deborah, and this is definitely my house, and I'm definitely not a burglar. Valuable lesson for me, and actually, if you think somebody's got your name on, just... It's Deborah. It's Deborah. Um, so names matter. He called off his guys around the back, and I've never seen so many uh, loaded police in Kettering ever, never mind seven o'clock on a Monday morning. Names matter. Names matter. Okay, and names matter for us here, and they mattered in the ancient world as well. As Tom spoke to us last week, God has a name. It's not God, it's Yahweh. God's always had a name, and it differentiates him from the other gods. And I know Tom touched on it 
last week. I would just want to go and revisit a different ancient story and come with me for a moment. Um, do we remember the film Troy with Brad Pitt and Eric Banner and um, Orlando Bloom? That's not why I watched it. It's not why I watched it. I'm very interested in history. So the story of Troy takes place at about the same time as Moses has gone up the mountain on our Exodus 34 reading. And there's a point in the story where Agamemnon is, is sent across the Mediterranean to fight the Trojan War. The fleet is dead in the water. They're not going anywhere. And so there's no wind. And because Artemis, the goddess of Greece, is angry, but she's always angry. She's not, she's not a happy god, goddess. She's really angry. And so she, Artemis demands a brutal sacrifice from Agamemnon. It's really grim. He demands that he um, sacrifices his daughter Iphigenia. And he does it. He appeases Artemis's wrath by cutting his daughter's throat. That's really grim. But straight away, the wind begins to blow, and off they go. And so there are other gods around at the time of uh, our god Yahweh. They've also got names. Uh, there's Yahweh, and then there's Amun-Ra in Egypt, and Artemis, and I'm not going to do an ancient history story. But our god is not like the other gods. Yahweh's not like Artemis or Amun-Ra or Marduk or any of the others. And he tells us what he's like in this bit of Exodus. He, if you're living at the time of Exodus 34, your God hasn't demanded a bloody sacrifice from you. He's rescued you. He's saved you from slavery in Egypt. He's taken you across the Red Sea and through the desert. And then he wants to tell you his name. And in, and I am going to get language geeky, so come with me because it's going to help. He tells you his name and it's the order matters in ancient Hebrew. So the first thing that Yahweh wants to tell us about himself is that he is compassionate and gracious. The first thing that he wants to tell us about himself is that he is compassionate and gracious. When you add those up together, that means that God's baseline emotion before he feels anything else towards us is mercy. That Yahweh himself puts these words first. They tell us that these are his most important character traits. Let's say the word, shall we? Compassionate and gracious. So the ancient Hebrew for compassionate and gracious, you're not getting off the hook by, because by the way, nobody joined me in that, so we're going to do it properly this time. The ancient Hebrew is Rahum Wehanan. There's a big silence there. You need to gird yourselves, all right, because we're going to get involved this morning. So I want to hear you say Rahum Wehanan. That's not bad, Wellimbra. I'm going to stay language geeky. Rahum Wehanan. Okay, so the word rahum is often translated as merciful. Okay, God's baseline emotion towards us is mercy. Rahum is often translated as merciful. The root word it comes from is actually mother's womb. And the idea behind it is this feeling that a mother has towards her infant child. God is a mother. He's got feelings. Uh, yeah, he does. Um, rahum is an intense, visceral love that the, moves the person feeling it. Okay, we see it in other places. We see it, I think Tom touched on Solomon last week, wise guy. Uh, uh, he was very wise. And when the two ladies came to him with the baby, and he said, his answer to determine who the correct mother was, he said, cut the child in half and give half each. Well, the real mother, she was moved out of her rahum, and she said, no, give the baby to the other woman. And Solomon's wisdom, he realized that it was the Rahum that identified the real mother. It was that visceral, it doesn't matter if the child doesn't live with me, but the child must live. And it's that visceral, I just need to, this feeling, I've got to do something with it. If you have children, then how we feel about them is a faint echo of our father's heart. It's a really, really deep feeling. 
Now, if you didn't have children, if you don't have children, or you haven't had good experiences of being parented, which I recognise some of us don't always have great experiences of being parented, it might not resonate with you. And so actually, my prayer as I'm speaking is that you would experience healing from God on that. I, I pray that you'd catch a glimpse of the deep in the bones, visceral love that nothing else comes close to that God feels for you. Rahum then is a feeling word. Deep, deep feeling. So then we have the second half of our Hebrew word, wehanan. Actually, it's just the hanan bit we're going to look at because the way bit is a, a linky word. That's, you know, grammatical speak for linky word. Hanunen means gracious. Gracious. So rahum is a feeling word. Hanun is a doing word. It's an action. It's a movement. It's not a feeling. It means to actively show grace or to show favor or to help someone out in time of need. We see Hanan in two kings, slightly obscure story, but I really like this one. Hazael, king of Aram, has oppressed Israel throughout the reign of Jehoahaz. He's oppressed Israel throughout the reign of Jehoahaz. The Lord Yahweh was gracious to them and had compassion on them and showed concern for them. And the gracious means that God saved Israel from annihilation from a foreign army while they were still an embryonic state. It's that kind of movement. It's not gracious like, oh, I love them, they're amazing, look at them. It's an active, I'm going to step in with an action and protect and provide for my embryonic state. As Tom said last week, this is God's name. It's the most referred to name in the Bible, by the Bible. And Yahweh tells us his name throughout the Bible. And he wants us to know this. He is compassionate and gracious. Now, when I was uh, saying to Martin what the title was this morning, he started singing. He knows this song. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. Now, let, <laughs> Martin's like, mm. Slow it down. Sometimes we can be a bit, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And we don't clock the words. We get caught on the song or, or we don't just catch the weight of compassionate and gracious. Compassionate and gracious. I need that in my life. Be gracious to me, God. In the Psalms, this is the prayer. Be gracious to me. When the psalmist or you or me, when we pray those words, we're asking God to respond in action. Lord, give me a cloak to cover myself at sunset. Respond to me by doing something. Deliver me from my enemy. Deliver me from myself. And he does. Yahweh responds because he feels that compassion, the deep, deep feeling. And then he responds with action. There is elasticity with God when we pray. It isn't a case of this is the path and you're on it. And you've got to pray the right prayer to stay on it. And I'm gonna, we're going to talk about that in a minute. When you pray, God feels a response to you because you're his child and then he acts out of his feeling for you in line with his character and his feeling towards you is mercy. So bearing that in mind, when we then come before God Yahweh, not Artemis, when we come before Yahweh, we're coming for a God who feels and cares and he acts and he wants to do something about the situation we're in. Okay, He wants to move us on from the situation that we find ourselves in. So does that then change how we come before our God, Yahweh? Does that mean that we come in a posture rooted in who God is? God, you are compassionate. God, you care about me. God, you are gracious. You help. Have mercy on me. Now, it's not the only way to pray. It's not a formula. There's no right or wrong way. And there are other things that we have to bear in mind when we pray. But doesn't it change our fundamental posture before God? If, his, if the key characteristic he wants us to know is that he's compassionate and gracious, suddenly alters our approach to our God. So let's talk about mercy. 
God's baseline feeling towards us is mercy. Does that mean that God is nice and fluffy? Nope. I told you this was a tough talk. <laughs> we might begin to add into that equation when we think about compassionate and gracious, that because Yahweh has feelings and acts and his action is described as mercy, that we think he's nice and fluffy. Isn't that what we think of when we think of mercy? You know, kind of have mercy on me. I, you know, let me off my homework. I didn't do it. Let me off the extra hours that I don't want to do at work or the fact I didn't wash the floor properly or make the bed properly or do the ironing. This is not my list of things that I need mercy for, by the way. It's kind of a, a plea. Be nice to me. Have mercy on me. Be nice to me, isn't it? But that's not what God means. Mercy then is our God Yahweh. He feels and then he acts. But mercy in the Bible is actually God rescuing and saving. Rescuing and saving, rescuing and saving. God's mercy looks like all the time God rescuing and God saving. God coming into the situation that his people are in and rescuing and saving. All right, if you've got a Bible handy, let's turn to Jonah. And if you haven't got one, don't worry. We're going to recap. But I want to talk about Jonah. I do really want to talk about Jonah and the Ninevites. Let's have a quick recap. God says to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Ninevites weren't very nice. Like proper, not very nice. They were the arch enemy of Israel. They'd been at war with them for centuries and centuries. Super long time. And they were grim. They would burn the captured kings alive and spread their skin on the city wall. They would kill the women and take the children into slavery. They were superbly disgusting and they delighted in their violence for centuries against Israel. So Jonah gets the word, hey, can you just pop over to Nineveh and tell them that I'm not very happy? Preach it. You can imagine Jonah getting the word going, yeah, yeah, that's God. Yeah, yeah, go to Nineveh. Yeah, yeah, no. No, I've got to go somewhere else. So he's got Nineveh, which is two days walk in one direction, or he's got Tarshish, the other end of the map, the end of civilization. And Jonah goes... Well, let's have a little read. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 3. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah, you noodle. We know how it goes, right? The scripture tells us that Jonah is running away from Yahweh. He's not actually running away from Nineveh, these people who've sliced up their kings and women and children. He's running away from Yahweh. You know how it goes. The storm comes, he ends up in the belly of the beast. He comes back to Nineveh and he preaches the shortest sermon ever. I'm really sorry that Jonah preached eight words. You've got me until, you know, about another 15 minutes. Eight words. Jonah says this, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And he just wanders around and you can imagine, 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days, Nineveh's going to be overthrown. And you know what happens then. Nineveh repent. They turn to God. The king repents. He calls for a day of mourning and they beg for God's wait for it, mercy. And then we read that when God saw that they did that, he showed his elasticity and he stayed his hand from Nineveh. He didn't destroy it. And they all turned to Yahweh. It's a great story, isn't it? A bit of mercy. Yes, that's good. Cue cheering. Nineveh was saved. Nineveh prayed and God felt compassion and showed mercy. We love those stories, don't we? Except maybe Jonah didn't love that story. And if you keep reading Jonah, we know that he didn't think it was a nice story. He had a meltdown. I'm so angry I could die. Jonah, what's up with you, mate? Well, I'll tell you what's up. 
Remember this? In Exodus 34, Jonah quotes this back to God. He says, this is why I went to Tarshish. He ran away from Yahweh. And in his anger, he quotes Exodus 34 back to God. And he says, I knew it. I knew you were gracious and compassionate. I knew that you're slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. I am so angry that you have been gracious and compassionate to my enemy. I am so angry that you have been gracious and compassionate to the people who have oppressed me and my people for hundreds and hundreds of years. I just kill me now, God. So angry. All right, Jonah, have a nap and something to eat. You might feel better. Except that's not how it goes, is it? Yahweh nahamed Nineveh and Jonah had a problem with it. That's our Yahweh though, isn't it? He's compassionate and gracious. And we love it when he is. We love it when he is gracious and compassionate to me or to you or to our friends. We love it that he has our back. God's got my back. God's got your back. We translate that into God's on my side. God's on your side. Except does God have a side? Let's unpack this a little bit. There are three kinds of redemption story we love, aren't there? Well, no, there's three kinds of redemption story. Two we love, one we don't. The first one we love is my redemption story that's personal to me. God broke into my life, redeemed my situation. Yay! Woo! God broke into your life, redeemed your situation. He showed mercy to you. Yay! Woo! The ones that are up close, we love those. God breaks in, we're really happy, and God's on our side. The second one we love, a little insight into the Hicks family here. The ones that are really, 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 really far away. 2010, Take That made a documentary about how much they miss Robbie Williams and they wanted him to come back. So we don't care that you've battled with drugs. We don't care that you've battled with having loads of girlfriends. We just want you back. I'm pretty sure there's a song in there somewhere. <laughs> I ain't going to sing it though. Robbie didn't turn up. And in the Hicks house, sorry Martin, we sat there with a little tear that Robbie didn't come back. So when Robbie rocked up in 2011 and said, I'm coming on tour, take that. Guess where we were? Down at the front of Wembley Stadium, like, go, Robbie! And we love that redemption story. We love Lethal Weapon. When the guy whose wife is dying is going off the rails. We loved his redemption story. And this one's just for my son. I cannot watch a Star Wars film without crying. I'm not going to... No spoilers. Jacob's like, Peter, Mum. <laughs> no spoilers. I love a Star Wars story because it has a massive redemption arc. My friend said to me after the last one, what about the horses, Deborah? I was like, never mind the horses. I didn't even notice any horses because there was a big redemption theme playing out on my screen and I'm in the cinema going, come on, redemption story. Happy ending. Because we love those, don't we? So what's the third one? Well, I'll tell you what the third one is. <coughs> I don't even want to say it. This is how much I don't like these ones. This is what I've battled with, friends. The third one is the one that we don't love. It's like Jonah and the Ninevites. Okay. It's the one that's a bit harder to swallow. If God, Yahweh, loves me and saves me, redeems me, works in my life, then he is on my side. But God doesn't have a side. I believe in my redemption, mercy for me, justice for everyone else. Yeah? Mercy for me, thanks God, justice for everyone else. Hands up if that resonates. You don't have to stick your hands up, it's fine. <laughs> Is that what God believes? Sadly, it's not. What about when God's merciful to our enemies? How does that feel? To the people who skin our kings, burn our women alive, and take our children into slavery. 
in Jonah's case, we don't like that. We don't love it. Do we want to celebrate it then? Not really. What about the drunk driver who collides with our friend's son's car, the colleague who falsely accuses us and costs us our reputation, our career, and so on and so forth? Do we love it when God has mercy on them? I've got to tell you, no, I don't. And this is where I had to get down and do the work for four weeks. God is going to show mercy to and bless all kinds of people who don't deserve it. Like, seriously. I know that I don't deserve it, but I'm special, right? Except so is everyone else. The people who stomp on me, the people who hurt me, the people who gossip, who lie, who cheat, who betray, who abandon us, they're not special. Well, yeah, they are. God has spent history showing mercy to and blessing all kinds of unsavory folks, me included. And if you're sitting here, probably you too. Because mercy in the Bible is saving and rescuing, saving and rescuing, saving and rescuing, saving and rescuing a bit more. And then when you think he's done, he's still saving and rescuing until he comes back. Most of us want mercy for ourselves, justice for everybody else. God's baseline emotion to you, to me, to everyone is a summary word, mercy. And maybe you might be sitting here and the, and the person that you need to show mercy to is actually yourself. Before I move on to anything else that I want to say, maybe the person that you need to show mercy to is yourself because you are not accepting God's mercy to you. And you're holding on to something that God says you don't need to carry that anymore. That's my Old Testament bit done. Let's go and visit Jesus, who is God with skin on, in person, in character, showing us how to be like God, because we're called to be imitators of Christ. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, and we get to imitate Jesus, and we're called to be like him. So what does Jesus have to say? Jesus says this, I tell you, it's really annoying, he says this really early, Matthew 5, 44, straight out the starting blocks, Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Right at the beginning, Matthew chapter 5. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If we have a little flip through, Luke 17, 13, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Luke 18, 38, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. And you know what? We don't read anywhere that Jesus just went, not today, not today, not today, not today. Every single time, what did Jesus do? He had mercy. Our New Testament is filled with Jesus responding to people with mercy, and he taught really, really consistently. There are a number of stand-up passages. My personal favorite is in Matthew chapter 20 in The Workers in the Vineyard. But I actually want to go and visit a story about the man who had two sons in Luke 15. Jesus wasn't merciful because he was nice, but because it's his character, and it's the most important part of his character. He wants us to get it. He wants us to live it. And I love this story. I'm going to paraphrase it slightly. Luke 15, 11 to 31. You can turn to it if you want to, or you can just stay with me while I talk about it. Jesus begins with these words. A man had two sons. We know this in our Bibles as the the prodigal son. But it's not about just the prodigal son. The man had two sons. So actually it's about the prodigal God. The fact that Jesus includes two sons is really, really important. So the younger son rocks up and he's like, Dad, I'm out. I wish you were dead. Give me my stuff. I've got to go and have some sex, drink some booze. I've got to go party hard. I've got a life to live. And this ain't it. And the dad goes, all right, son. So he divvies it up. And off pops son number two. And he goes and lives the high life until he wakes up in the gutter one day. And he's like, this life ain't, this ain't it. I'm out of money. I've got some horrible diseases. I've got no food. I'm starving. The guys who work with the pigs at home are doing better than me. I wonder if I go home, I might be able to work as a hired hand. 
He turns around. He starts making his way home. And the surprise in the story is, Dad's already there. Dad's been missing him. Dad's like, oh, it's my boy. And he runs down the road. Now, let's pause here. Ancient Near East, if the younger son went to the dad and went, Dad, I'm off, Dad would have been like, you are dead to me. I have no second son. Never come home. He wouldn't have been waiting for him. There's no way he would have run down the road to meet him. He'd have been like, shame and honor. So important in that culture. But in this story, the dad figure, he's different to the gods of the other time. He's there. His arms are open. He's like, yes, son's coming back. Put the ring on the finger. Give him the cloak. We're going to have a party. Because my son who was dead, he's not dead. He has come home. And it doesn't matter what he did. It doesn't matter how far he went. It doesn't matter how offensive he thought his behavior was. I am happy he has come home. And they have a party. And you know what? Maybe you've gone far away from God. Maybe you've taken yourself away from God. Maybe you disqualified yourself for some reason. And so that first part about that younger son, well, that's for you this morning. And all you've got to do is turn around and see your father is waiting for you. But if I stop there, I'm doing us a disservice because it isn't just about the younger son. There's two sons in this story, remember? A man had two sons. Well, good old number one son, he stayed at home. He worked the land. He did everything right, except sin is not just the absence of wrongdoing, is it? Sin isn't just about I did everything right. He sees little brother coming home, being reinstated. He's not happy about that. He's not like, yay, my brother's back, let's join the party. He's like, what? I don't want you to have mercy on him, Dad. I'm not coming in for a party. I don't want to have mercy on him either. Uh Uh-oh. Dad goes out and he says, come on, son. We need to celebrate because he's back. And we do need to celebrate. When our lost brothers come back, we celebrate. But number number one son, he's outside. He's, He's like Jonah. Oh, I'm so angry. I'm not coming in. So angry. How does dad respond? How does the Yahweh figure respond? He is compassionate and gracious to number one son as well. Takes his hand and he pleads with him to come in. He doesn't love number one son any less because number two's come home. He loves them both and he's merciful to them both. He wants to celebrate with both of them. Let's stay with number one son for a minute. When Jesus told this story, it was complex. Complex illustration about the character of God and his merciful compassion and grace to his children. We can think of it as a nice story when we come to faith. Or we can have our image of God as our loving father restored through the father in this story. I just want to stand the older brother. Why did Jesus include him? In that brother's eyes, he's done nothing wrong and everything right. He stayed. He asked for nothing. But his heart wasn't right. His heart wasn't right. He stayed and he did everything right. But it wasn't because he loved his dad. And so when the younger brother came back, he became number one son's enemy when he was reinstated. Not when the brother left, but when he came back. And in seeing it that way, in expecting his father to choose a side, in expecting his father to be on his side and not have mercy on the brother who'd gone and come back and cost them their honor and cost them their reputation and cost them their land and their money, in saying, I don't want you to have mercy on this guy, he made an enemy of his father as well. He said, I'm judging you, your choice to be merciful. Essentially saying to him, you have not been on my side, even though I stayed. And now you're definitely on his side. Because you're welcoming home. What are you doing? You're being merciful. Essentially, that brother outside refusing to come in, he says, he doesn't deserve your favor, and I really, really do. I'm the victim. Jonah ran away from God because his people had been the victims of the Ninevites for centuries. He didn't want to preach that sermon because he didn't want them to deserve what God was going to give them. 
They don't deserve what you're giving them. I do. The brother wasn't merciful to his brother in his return, and he wasn't merciful to his father in his father's decision to be merciful. But even at the end of the story, the father is pleading with him to be merciful and come in. He's showing mercy. What was Jesus' name for Yahweh? His father. He called him Abba, Daddy. I grew up without a daddy, so I struggle with that word. It's really intimate. And I want to bring it in because there's quite a lot here. In Exodus 34, Yahweh tells us his name, which demonstrates his character so we can know him and be like him. Imitate Christ. We're called to follow Christ. We're called to be like Christ. And we're actually called to ponder the question, what would Christ do if he, live, if he had my life today? How would he live? How would he live if he lived my life today? As our children take on our characteristics, we're supposed to take on those of our Heavenly Father. Be merciful. Jesus said it. Be merciful. It's like music geek. Middle C makes our very being vibrate. The note middle C when it's played makes your core vibrate. And so do these words. I can't avoid Jesus' instructions to me. Be merciful to those who hurt you. Be merciful to your enemies. Be merciful to those who persecute you. So here we are right at the hard bit, the bit that I have just wrestled. Can you tell I wrestled with this? If you thought the ancient Hebrew was hard, here it comes. I've got some questions coming. Who were your enemies? Who were your enemies? You might be your own enemy. You might trash talk yourself. And I pray that you'll do business with God this morning. If you are your enemy, if you trash talk yourself, if you don't believe in yourself, then let's do some business. But who else? Who are your other enemies? Who has made your life really miserable? Who has sunk the knife in a little deeper? Who do you hate? Who is the bully in your life? Who is the person who has told lies about you? Who has pushed you out? You don't have to answer this. But here comes another hard question. What would it look like for you to show mercy to them? To love them? Why don't we start with this? Forgive them. You know, Deborah, they're not sorry. Yeah, I know. I know they're not sorry. I've had a bit of that in my life as well. Not sorry? I know. Do you know what, though? <laughs> Forgive them anyway. Do it. Do it. I, this is where I wrestle, guys. Release yourself and them from your thirst for justice. Release yourself from it. Forgive them. I know they're not sorry. And then we're going to get really, you've got to get down on your knees for this one when you try this. Pray for them. I think I've done this. I think it's all right. I've done this. I've prayed for these people who aren't sorry for the mess they made in my life. And I find I've gone backwards. So when we pray for them, we're not going to pray for a flat tire or a horrible skin condition or for them to go bankrupt or food poisoning. This is not my prayer list. Even though you want to pray for justice. Even, I love it, I've tickled the second row there. We're not, no, we're not praying for those things. We're not praying for those things. Or anything else of that ilk. We're going to pray for mercy. We're going to pray for blessing. I cannot tell you the first time I attempted to pray blessing over the people who made a huge mess in my life, the words caught in my throat. And my emotions were like, Jesus, I don't even want to say these words. You start saying them. You start praying for that blessing and something is going to break in the spiritual realm and eventually your emotions are going to come up behind. But you have to make that decision. Pray for blessing and then be ready for God to answer that prayer for blessing. Right? It's not like you're going to pray for blessing and then God's going to decide they don't deserve it. Right? Because if you think that, then I've just been talking into thin air. Who does God put in your life that you can be merciful to on a daily basis? Oh, 
do you show the mercy every single day? And you don't get to decide if you're merciful or not. If you're married, ask your spouse, are you merciful? If you dare. Or your kids, or your roommate, or your work colleagues. Because I tell you what, difficult people aren't hard to find. (laughs) Paul's laughing. Don't laugh, Paul. (laughs) Difficult people are not hard to find. Who has God, who has Yahweh put in your life that frustrates you? That really gets your goat. Who can you not avoid that you think, I need to go to the toilet right now because this person's walking towards me. Well, I tell you what, don't dodge into the toilet. Take the opportunity to practice showing them mercy in your workplace, in your home. It's hard living with people. In your schools, wherever you're encountering people who rub you up the wrong way, because Jesus said to us, have mercy on them. His closing words in Luke 15 were, have mercy on them. And then my final slide is this. My final question, so we can do some business with God. Do you honestly believe that God is your father? Can you honestly call God daddy? Because I've got to tell you, it doesn't matter where you've been or how far you've gone or how long you've been away. There is not one thing in your life that God's grace can't cover. There is not one thing that he does not want to have mercy on you for. Whatever your experience of being parented was, whatever your experience of being in the world is, God has that deep feeling for you and he wants to respond out of his deep feeling. And his response is mercy. Can you accept him as your father? Whether you've gone far, far, far away or whether you're just outside his house like this. I don't want to come in because I don't like that you had mercy on them. God is your father and all he wants is for you to come in where he's welcoming you back. Let's stand. I just really felt like the Holy Spirit's been here this morning and I just want to make space for a few minutes that um, if something that I've said has resonated or something that was spoken out during the time of worship or even if just you've heard nothing this morning other than the voice of God, let's just take a few minutes to invite the Holy Spirit and just do business with what he wants to say in our lives. So come Holy Spirit. Maybe this morning there are some people in your life that you you know that you need to have mercy on them. You You know you need to forgive them. You know you need to pray blessing on them and probably pray blessing on them every single day. So would you come Holy Spirit and just release the words of prayer of blessing in my brothers and sisters this morning? Would you bring them blessed assurance that you are with them as they do that? Maybe this morning uh, you've just been really, really far away and you want to come back. Holy Spirit, would you just reveal in your grace that all we have to do is turn around and you're there running down the road to meet and celebrate with us. Or maybe this morning you're like the older brother outside, angry that God has had mercy on somebody else. I pray that you would release your clenched fists and just come and join the Father. And finally, you might be like Jonah, just running away from Yahweh. And um, if that's you, I just pray that God would come and reassure you that he is for you.